Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good night, depending on where you are, what time you are listening to this. My name is Winston, and this is another episode of the Revenue Alignment Podcast. I am your host, and I am super excited because we have someone that's absolutely amazing, or at least I believe so, and I'm sure most of LinkedIn believe so. Uh, we have Megan Bowen with us. Megan, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me on your show, Winston. I'm excited to get into an, a good conversation today with you. I'm, I'm sure it definitely will be. Uh, but before we begin, ladies and gentlemen, let me just help you understand how amazing Megan is. So like, I didn't even realize how amazing she is until I actually started you know, doing some research about her career history. So First of all, she's held several senior positions as senior client manager, you know, senior operations associate and later operations team lead. She's also done sales, which was a bit of a surprise to me because I didn't even know that she did sales. She has a sales background, you know, starting as a sales rep, um, mm-hmm. later being sales team lead and inside a uh, sales manager. And then, you know, move from that to being head of account management, director of corporate accounts, senior VP of operations, you know, COO at one company, then, you know, started her VP of customer success career. And currently she is the COO and the CCO, which I'm assuming is the chief customer officer at Refine Labs, which is a marketing agency that captures and creates demand for B2B SaaS company. I mean, in a nutshell, of course, um, I'm, I'm only talking about the tip of the iceberg of the amazing work that the guys do over there. And women, of course. So, <laughs> Megan, oh, that was a mouthful. Um, I, I know I only scratched the surface, but before we begin, I'd love to hear about your story, your journey, where you started from to where you are today. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for the lovely introduction. And uh, yeah, I have actually had a really fun and interesting career journey. So I'll kind of start at the beginning and I'll just expand a bit um, from the intro that you just provided to give people a little bit more context of how I kind of uh, transition between all of those different types of roles. And so, um, yeah, you found my Cutco experience at the bottom of my LinkedIn profile, um, <laughs> right when I was in college actually is when, um, you know, making some money, paying my, my rent and my bills. I started selling Cutco cutlery, uh, the world's finest set of knives, just so you know. <laughs> um, but I actually supported myself on that for almost a year. Um, and it was honestly, it was a great experience. You're essentially uh, building a business from scratch with cold calling, you're doing in-home demonstrations. And so I learned so much of just classic sales techniques and fundamentals doing that role. Um, it was commission-based only. So you only made money <laughs> when you sold something. And so really also taught me a lot about kind of grit and perseverance um, and kind of keeping at something. So um, I love that experience, learned a ton. Um, I enjoyed sales. Um, I went to college, got a degree in business um, and just sort of like business management, very general. And so right outside of college, I was looking for my first uh, position. And that's when I got a job at an educational technology company called eChalk. So I started as an account manager, essentially. And that was when I really fell in love with account management. I... um, Uh, was at that company for almost seven years. um, And uh, the account management position there really was a combination of um, 
implementation, project management, client management, also renewal and upsell. So I was able to leverage some of my sales skills, um, also customer support, customer service. It was a very small company. And so um, I really, I did that role for a long time. At the time, I was very ambitious and itchy to get promoted. But in hindsight, I'm so glad I spent like six, seven years doing the same job because I really mastered it. I did it for so long. I I encountered every possible situation. And uh, that really was like the core foundational experience that I think, again, only in hindsight, I think was really a launching pad for my career. Um, At the time, I um, kind of hit a wall there. It was a small company. There wasn't a lot of opportunities for growth. I was there. I had a great run. So I was ready for my next job. And I was looking around. And that's when I discovered ZocDoc. So this was 2012. Like booking a doctor's appointment online, like that's amazing. That's such a good idea. Everybody's going to do that. And so they were pretty small at the time. And I interviewed for a couple of different roles, but they actually came back to me and said, We're willing to offer you a job, but only as a customer support agent. Um, So, sort of entry level, um, objectively a step back in my career because I had been looking for more of a senior account management position. They really didn't have that team though. And so I ended up saying, you know what? It's a startup. Um, Let me, I took a pay cut. I took a step back, but I really believed that um, I would be able to find my next opportunity after putting in a little bit of time there. So I took the job and, you know, I was a customer support agent. I was like sitting on a stability ball headset, 12 hours a day, picking up calls and answering emails from patients and doctors. And so um, what happened there next was really interesting. I Um, after being on the phone for nine months, I was noticing some trends. Um, The company was growing. We were adding doctors to the site. More patients were using it. And they just kept hiring more support agents because we just had more calls, more emails, more problems to solve. And there was a sales team and a tech team, but there was no post-sale or account management function. And what I was realizing was all of the problems that doctors kept calling in about, they were all the same problems. And I was like, man, if we had an onboarding process and an account management function, we could be much more proactive and just prevent these problems from even happening. Whereas I was like, we're being so reactive. All of these problems are coming in. We're just solving every problem, but we're not actually solving the root cause. So the problems are just going to keep happening, right? And so I I put a business case together and went to the uh, leadership team and said, look, um, you need to build out this new team. This team doesn't exist today. If you build this out, you're going to be able to solve all these problems. It'll be a better doctor experience, better patient experience. There will be uh, better retention. Um, You'll have less support issues. Um, and like, this is a no brainer. This, this is what you need to do next. And so it took a couple of months and talking about it kind of campaigning, but then they finally agreed. And then they gave me the opportunity to build the team. Um, so that was my first opportunity building a team from zero to 25 and 18 months, um, systems, process, playbooks. Um, and that was when I realized I love building a team, like the whole, process of people and uh, systems and uh, process. I was just like, I love having to figure all of that out and build something from nothing. And so that was um, really a transformative experience. Um, I've kept in touch with a lot of the ZocDoc folks and um, the, the team still exists today that I created. Um, which is which is awesome, and all of the benefits that I was hoping and expecting would happen did occur in the business. 
Um, then I moved on to Grubhub Seamless um, online food ordering. They have a big B2B business. They didn't have an account management function on the B2B side. So I essentially went there and I built that account management function from scratch. Um, loved it. A whole different set of challenges because it was a different business, different you know sort of stage of maturity. Um, had a great experience there. Um, was there for the IPO for Grubhub, which was super exciting. And post-IPO, they went on an acquisition spree. And so my last major project before I moved on from Grubhub was actually consolidating five B2B software companies into the Grubhub brand. So like moving the customers over, bringing over the team, killing that brand, did that five times. Um, and that's when I saw the most scales. So when I started, there was about 3,000 customers, $200 million business. By the time I left, we had almost like 9,000 customers for 500 million ARR business. Um, and so kind of seeing part of that scale, both through organic growth and acquisition, obviously, they acquired all those companies. Um, then I the company got really big. And I was like, I want to build something again. Like I need to go back to building. That's what I love the most. And so I then went back to a startup called Managed by Q. Didn't have an account management team. I was like, I can do this. <laughs> Built the account management team at Q. Um, Q was another really... Um, amazing chapter in my career because I basically went from the director of account management to the chief operating officer within about a year and a half of working there. Right. Um, I took over sales, marketing, operations, um, and then had a couple of different promotions, but eventually got to COO. Um, and that's when I really was able to take all of my team building skills from account management and really apply that to all of those go-to-market teams. Um, and I understood sales. I didn't really have a lot of experience in marketing. Um, I was I was strong in operations. And so it was really cool to be able to work with all those teams um, as a customer success professional and really applying that lens to everything. Um, WeWork acquired Managed by Q, which was like really cool until it wasn't cool anymore when WeWork <laughs> kind of imploded in 2019. It was a Hulu documentary. Check it out. Um, and uh, then I went to a, a different uh, B2B food company, Platters. I was familiar because of the, I was at Grubhub for so long. Yeah. Um, yeah. They were a smaller startup, really approaching the problem in a different way, which was really exciting, was head of customer success there. I loved it there. The pandemic happened though. And then no one was ordering food to the office. So obviously that uh, negatively impacted the business. We had to uh, significantly downsized the team. And I moved on uh, at that point. And then uh, that's when Chris and I had uh, been building a friendship um, sort of over 2019 and into 2020. And after I left Platters, um, him and I reconnected and he was looking for a partner to build Refine Labs. And I was like, I love to build. So let's do it. And uh, have been working uh, at Refine Labs since the summer of 2020. And um, we have scaled the company very fast, went from about five to 60 people, from about seven customers to 40 customers. Our prices have changed from $10,000 a month to $40,000 plus a month. And so um, it's been a really incredible experience in, in building Refine Labs. And, and then here we are today. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that's, that, that was a lot. Um... Wow, that's that's incredible. I, I warned you. I was like, "How long you got my <laughs> Yes, you did. <laughs> um, you, I, I think the biggest thing for me is, well, it's several things that 
I think could really benefit marketers in this conversation. The first of that being that you, you went into a situation where it wasn't necessarily your, your role or responsibility. I'm talking about that first instance where you built out that account management team. I think it was at the call center um, when you were a call customer agent. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I think it was that. Um, and you built out that team. And uh, one of the things is that they are a lot of problems, but most marketers are fine tend to look at problems based on how it affects them and not necessarily how it affects the organization on a whole. So when we're going, um, or should I say, when marketers are going and saying, hey, I, I want to execute this campaign or I need budget for this, it's often never from, from the point of view of, well, does this make sense organizationally? And what's the return of this? It's, it's well, we think it's a good idea. You know, we saw it somewhere, let's implement it. How, how do you think marketers could really make that mind shift, if you will, to not look on things necessarily from a marketing's point of view, but from an organizational point of view to say, all right, I'm not just thinking about the marketing function. I, I, I need to understand how this affects other functions within the organization. How can they make that mindset shift? Yeah, absolutely. So a, a strategy that I've employed throughout my career that I think has um, been one of the main reasons why I've been successful is I, I try to look at everything that I'm doing through two lenses, the lens of the customer Right. And the lens of the CEO. Mm. So customer first, mm -hmm. but I'm going to put myself in my customer's shoes and I'm going to say, what, what are, what is their reality? What are their challenges? What are their problems? What are they trying to accomplish? What matters to them? How do they feel? Um, what's important to them. And so, you know, the answers to those questions are going to depend based on the context that you're in the company that you're at the product and the service that you offer, but put yourself in the customer's shoes. Um, how is whatever I want to do going to impact them, going to benefit them, going to make a difference in their experience? Um, so any idea you have, you need to shift your mindset of not what you want, but how is this going to impact the customer? And is it still a good idea from the customer's point of view? Right. The second lens is the CEO. So the seat, the buck stops with the CEO, right? They are the leader of the organization. They, they see everything at the 30,000 foot view. Um, and especially when I went from the head of account management to the COO at Q, that's when I really realized that sometimes I made decisions for my team that were good for my team, but right. had unintended consequences for other teams that maybe didn't make sense when you looked at it broadly across the organization. And so that was my big aha moment of, just because it's a good idea in the bubble doesn't mean it's a good idea in the whole environment. And so once you really understand your customer and you think that that makes sense, then you need to look at it through the business lens. What are the business priorities this year? What are we trying to achieve? Um, what are the biggest obstacles that stand in our way in order to achieve the most important goals that we have? And does this initiative, this idea does this move us forward as a company to achieve that goal? And if you can, if you, you know, assess and analyze your initiative or idea and it makes sense for the customer and then it makes sense for the company, then it's probably a good idea. Um, but you'll find, and I think this is maybe what you were alluding to, um, sometimes it, 
you know, sometimes it's not bad for the customer, but maybe it's not going to actually make any meaningful impact. And if there's any unintended negative consequence of, you know, with any other team, or it's actually just not aligned to what the priorities of the company are, it might not make, it could be a great idea, but it might not make sense to do it at that time. And so with respect to, you know, going back to ZocDoc, when I was building that team, that was how I presented my business case. I was like, today, there are a lot of cracks and issues in the doctor and the patient experience. Um, Almost, you know, X percent of appointments, they have to call us because something went wrong. And that's not cool, right? People are sick. People are going to the doctor. Like, this needs to be a good experience. And so if we were to set our doctors up for success on the site and do all of these things proactively, we could mitigate and prevent all of these negative experiences happening to our customer, right? The doctor and the patient. Then additionally, I was noticing, I was like, all these doctors are canceling. They're having so many issues. They just cancel because it's not worth it. It's not working for them, right? So from a business perspective, we're having a, a, a huge amount of churn in our business. This is not sustainable. If we want to grow the company, we can't have this percentage of doctors churning because of the negative experience that they're having. So when, you know, so then I was like, because of these two things, the patient and doctor experience and the negative impact of churn on the business, the solution is creating this function that will solve for both. And so when you paint the problems in that light, and you can both show it from the customer perspective and the business perspective and show how your solution is going to improve both. Um, it makes it a, a no-brainer um, for the company to adopt something. So um, hopefully that's helpful and I'm happy to go into more detail, but that that's kind of how I think about things and how I try to make um, the best strategic decisions in any business that I'm in. Right. Oh, that's a very good response. And I'm smiling because... I hope you don't mind putting me putting you in a rock and a hard place right now because it's a follow-up yeah. to what you just said um, of having that customer and that, that business slash CEO mindset. And, uh, you know, often marketers will look at things in a bubble. And uh, I've <laughs> often hear Chris say that, you know, never work for a CEO who doesn't get marketed. Mm-hmm. This is a rock and a hard place now. So... <laughs> <laughs> And, and yeah, I know, I know, I know that's something that, that he believes strongly in and I, I get it. Like I understand it because I've worked for three CEOs who um, at the moment or at the time, it didn't seem like they really understood why we need to do certain things. But, you know, as I, I've grown as a marketer over the years and I've had more exposure to CEOs, then I start to understand where they were coming from and start realizing, well, Maybe it wasn't so much that they didn't get marketing. Maybe I failed to really demonstrate and communicate the value in marketing and how, you know, as you just explained, how we could actually solve certain problems and priorities that the CEO has um, at the time. So how can marketers strike that balance between knowing that, well, there are some cases where, yes, the CEO doesn't get marketing, but then it's also the marketer's job to be accountable to actually prove the ROI of marketing, whether that ROI is revenue or some other metric or KPI we're using to judge marketing success. How can they strike that balance? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, and generally, I, I, 
I'm with you. Like I understand, I generally agree with Chris. I understand the main impetus is that um, the, the main point he's making is that the mindset of the CEO really drives so much of the decisions. And if that mindset isn't aligned, like they don't get marketing. Right. I think my translation of that is there's more of a short-term mindset versus a long-term mindset. And that drives the bulk of decision-making. And the real impactful marketing initiatives that are going to have a lasting impact on brand building and brand recognition and you know customer impact, none of that happens quickly. It always takes time. And so I think it comes back to understanding the mindset that the CEO has and why they have the mindset. So I've worked in a lot of different types of companies, um, many of which were VC-backed. And the reality is, is when a CEO is operating as if they have a short-term mindset, it's there's typically really logical reasons behind that. They might be, they might have a runway where they're running out of money in 12 months, right? Um, they may have raised around and have external pressures from investors or the board of directors to achieve a specific growth target by a certain time, right? Um, I have a lot of empathy for these CEOs and founders that find themselves in those situations. You sure you can argue that they got themselves there or whatever, but often when they're pushing back, maybe on a brand marketing initiative that might take 12 to 18 months before you're going to start to see meaningful revenue impact, it's not always because they don't believe it's a good idea or believe in the power of marketing, but there might be some real constraints that they're up against where I don't have 18 months. We might not even be here in 18 months, right? (laughs) And so it's really important for marketers to they have to be able to execute and operate both on the short term and the long term. Um, When you're you're building a business, sometimes you do have to do things in the short term to survive um, while also playing the long game. The main problem is if you have a CEO that is so short-term focused and they're willing to um, make poor decisions Mm. or, um, or they lack integrity, and and yeah. that that shines through. So when you're in that area, just get out. Like it's not going to be a good place. It's not going to be a good outcome, right? Um, but when you have a CEO that is operating within those constraints, and if you're a marketer and you want to try to communicate the value of marketing and um, execute a strategy with both short-term and long-term benefits and impacts, you need to consider both, right? So if I was a marketer, the way I would be thinking about this are, what are the next goals over the next six to 12 months? And what are things that I can do in the short term to positively impact these short-term goals? Um, So whether that's performance marketing, pipeline optimization, partnering with the sales team, um, finding opportunities for some quick wins, um, leveraging the customer base to get some referrals, um, there are at, there are good marketing like activities and strategies that can drive short to medium term results, right? Right, right. Um, one of them we even deploy at Refine Labs, which is you know paid advertising. Um, but you shouldn't only do that. And so it's really a combination of okay, I understand these are our short term goals, but long term we know that we want to um, you know 
build a great brand, create word of mouth, invest in dark social, all of these other things. So you can do both, um, but you have to understand, you have to put yourself in the CEO's shoes and understand the constraints and the goals that they are under, and you need to align yourself with them. Right. Um, and your plan should include both short-term, medium-term, and long-term plays that are going to further all of those goals. Um, Chris will often say too, like you shouldn't be starting a podcast if you're completely missing the goals today, right? Yeah. Like <laughs> you have to focus on hitting your goals. And then as you're hitting your goals, you can continue to layer on growth levers to drive, you know, even more brand building and growth within your company. And so the other thing too, as a marketer, think beyond just mar- the marketing team. You have to play nice with sales. The customer success org is a gold mine for marketers. Spend time with customers, leverage customer relationships, right? And so um, in addition to aligning yourself to those CEO goals and having short and long-term initiatives, um, really, really be a good partner to your sales and your customer success teams um, because all of those teams have to work together. They all matter. They're all important. Um, and uh, that collaboration is key. Everyone should be investing in it. Yeah, definitely. I agree 100%. Um, it's actually a good thing we didn't try to rush it for the 30 minutes because I <laughs> I haven't even gotten to the actual questions I want to ask you yet. I'm just, I'm just like spitballing based on, on your responses you're giving. So yeah. All right. So I have two follow-up questions from, from what you just said. The first being, let's say you have a marketing leader. And I mean, I, I know you say you don't have much experience in marketing, but you know, you you've been around enough to I, to I do now, especially at Refine Labs. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I do, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a marketer now by association. <laughs> <laughs> Which is good. So let's say a marketing leader starts day one. Um, and I know it depends on the context and the situation of the company, but day one, they have 90 days to really prove and show market is, marketing's value in terms of that investment. Um, and you spoke about those short, medium, long-term goals. So we're focusing on the short term now. Okay, the CEO is the first marketing hire. Um, the company is grown to probably, let's say, two to five million ARR. And, uh, you know, They've done so through mostly outbound sales activities and they're bringing on the first marketing hire. What can that marketing leader do within the first 90 days to really show marketing's impact from a bottom line revenue standpoint for the CEO to say, okay, this makes sense for us to continue investing in this? Yeah, absolutely. So I would say in the first 30 days, it's really about um, listening and learning and um, analyzing what's happened so far. So in the first 30 days, um, there would be a lot of uh, customer interviews, um, conversations with the last 10 customers that decided to buy. The marketing leader needs to get into the field and truly understand the customer at that company. Um, Why did they buy? What are their problems? What resonated with them? How did they hear about us? All of that stuff. So I would immediately have them engage in like a robust customer research project so that they can basically feel like they have a really solid understanding of this is our ideal customer. This is how they think and feel. This is how they make decisions. And this is why they decided to buy us. 
Um, that is going to be the foundation for a lot of the strategic decisions that that marketing leader is going to want to make. The second thing that I would do is I would analyze past performance. And so we would take a look at however much data we have, last 12 months, last six months, whatever it is. And we would analyze what marketing activities are actually driving to revenue. Right. Um, and so, um, it, you know, we, we do this um, analysis at Refine Labs, we call it split the funnel. And basically, we take all uh, leads by source, and we map them back to closed one or closed lost revenue. And it's always fascinating, because you um, typically always come to uh, very specific conclusions. These channels are the primary channels that drive revenue. These channels do not. So I would do that analysis so that I would have a perspective of these are the things we need to continue doing. These are the things we need to stop doing. And these are things that we should consider starting. The next thing that I would do in the first, um, so that would be what I do in the first 30 days. So by the end of the first 30 days, I have a really you know, strong understanding of the customer. Um, I have a strong understanding of my, the current context that I'm in and what's working and what's not working. The next 30 days, I would start to make some optimizations that are going to give me more data as well as um, help fuel some of the short-term results that I want to drive. So the first thing I would tackle is the, the website. Um, I would look at our primary conversion point. Um, typically, the split the funnel analysis will show that most deals are closed when buyers come to you and complete the contact sales form or request a demo form. And so I would make some you know, conversion rate optimization changes on the homepage, the primary conversion point. I would add a field that say, it says, how did you hear about us? That's free text and required. So I can start to get more qualitative information right away about how buyers are discovering our product and making purchasing decisions. That data is also going to help me validate um, some of the medium and longer term strategies that I want to deploy. I would also start spending time with the sales team and really understanding after the, the buyer completes the form, what is happening yeah. um, and what is that experience? Um, then at that point, I would be starting to recommend this strategy with some short term as well as some longer term initiatives. We could immediately start to re-architect uh, paid search. So people, it's so common to spend too much money on that channel and to not be efficient. And so I would make sure that we're being really efficient there uh, in all capture demand channels. And then I would be really thinking about how can we start to create new demand through paid social advertising? Um, I would get those programs up and running. Again, I've spent time with my customer. I know what messaging works. I know where they spend time. I know why they've decided to buy. And so the first several campaigns are going to be really focused on tapping into all of that messaging that I learned in that process. Um, and then I would begin to start to lay the foundation for more longer term brand building activities, whether it's a recurring event series, some type of podcast, um, organic LinkedIn posting by our subject matter experts, um, um, of course, as a marketing leader, you would also want be wanting to do a deep dive with the executive team on company goals, historical company performance, understand runway, and again, put yourself in the CEO's shoes, right, to really understand what they're up against. 
Um, so those are the key activities that I would that I would run in the first ninety days. Awesome, and and one uh, as it relates to the the paid social, would that be because we're talking about the first ninety days? Um, you know that that revenue um, attribution would it be based on educational content or is it direct response ads? Yeah, you probably know the answer to that, but we, <laughs> we don't believe in any direct response. And so, yeah, it would be purely informational, educational, even entertaining and enjoyable content um, that we right. would put, you know, that we would um, uh, deploy through Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, YouTube, maybe TikTok, depending upon the buyer. Um, and we would focus on, you know, really strong creative and copywriting, potentially video assets if they were available, leveraging customer testimonials. And again, going back to all that time I spent doing customer research, talking to the last 10 people that bought, I'm going to focus on telling the story and communicating messages um, that I know impacted people to raise their hand and say that they're interested to buy. Right. Um, so yeah, ungated content, no direct response, calls to action or learn more, read this content, just give it all away. <laughs> right, right. Let them come to you when they're ready. Yeah, and switching to customer success now. Yeah, one of the things you mentioned is around churn. Um, what what are some of the challenges that uh, you know customer success, whether as a function, as a department, as a leader? usually struggles with? Um, and how do you see marketing being able to help um, customer success overcome those challenges? Yeah, so I think that the I think that the biggest challenges that the customer success leader typically faces is a few things. So um, you know, people will often um, uh, assume that churn is a customer success problem when it really is a company problem. And the leading causes of churn typically fall into a couple of core themes. So one is mismatched expectations. So if the customer or the buyer is not being properly uh, informed of what the offering is and the benefits and all of that in the marketing and the sales process, things can fall apart once they become a customer. So this is a great area for marketing to be a great partner to customer success. Um, They need to make sure that all of the content that they're putting out is uh, real, grounded in reality, right? And so I actually am a big fan of, of marketers exposing the flaws in the product or the service, right? Be honest about what you're good at and what you're not good at. Um, so the customer knows what they're getting into. Um, same on the sales side as well when they're they're making the sale. Um, additionally, the on the whole onboarding experience, the buyer's experience from becoming aware of the product to signing on to be a customer to then onboarding. This is a really important um, milestone in the customer journey. Marketing, sales, and customer success are all involved. Um, and first impressions matter. And so that experience needs to be intentional. It needs to be curated. Um, everyone needs to be on the same page of what that looks like um, so that their first experience with the brand, um, you know, being, being a customer and then actually getting up and running is a positive one. 
And then I think the other thing is I, I believe from like a, a retention and expansion perspective and, and growth, your current customer base um, in most companies, it's so untapped. Right. Um, people can spend so much more time with like customer marketing to, you know, build brand affinity and retention in, increase product adoption, um, create communities so that customers can fuel word of mouth for new customers. Um, most often at B2B SaaS companies, there's all these different upsell and cross-sell products and services that they offer, right? And educating current customers on other things that they might be able to benefit from to continue to get the outcomes that they want. And so I would say that kind of the awareness and being truth, truthful about the good and the bad and the ugly of your product and like marketing is a big player there. And then marketing being a really good partner to customer success. I'm really making sure that our customers are being successful that they have community, that they uh, can continue to grow and expand so that they can continue to get more and more benefits from whatever it is you're, you're selling. So I think those are kind of the core areas where I see um, if they can collaborate you know, more effectively, they can um, not only provide a better customer experience, but actually improve the bottom line at the company. So this is a two-part question. First of all, uh... How, how can marketing, let's say it, it's non-existent now in the company, how can marketing approach uh, the customer success team or leader to actually start the process of making that alignment happen? And also, what would or what should the marketing team do within the first 30 days um, once it's been established, you know, that communication has happened to say, all right, yes, we're going to partner together. What should marketing do on their end to, to launch that program? I think it's just spend time with customers, spend time with customers, spend time with the internal customer success team. They're talking to customers all the time. They have a ton of information and especially are able to identify patterns and trends across multiple customers. And so it really comes back to um, that customer intimacy and really knowing and understanding your buyer. Um, That's the most important thing, um, honestly, across the board, even for a CEO, in my opinion. Yeah. And, and you speak a lot about culture. Do you think culture really plays a part in that? And if so, how? And if the culture isn't um, fostering or facilitating that happening, um, what, what, what can, well, I guess this is an organizational thing. What can the organization do to really start creating that type of culture? Yeah, culture really comes from the top. I, I strongly believe that the leaders of the company set the tone and the culture of what a company is going to be like. And so I think that um, like, so at Refine Labs, we have five company values that essentially are like our guiding light for our culture. And so the first one is we're a team. So our team is the number one priority, integrity, trust, respect, non-negotiables. If you have distrust within your organization, disrespect, Um, that's when toxic cultures can be created. And so really um, leading with that and uh, leading by example, that that is crucial. So making hard choices, doing the right thing, even if it's not what's in the best interest of the business, right? You have to, as a leader, um, act that out. The second thing that we talk about a lot is direct and respectful communication, that we not only celebrate wins with each other, but that we give constructive feedback 
all across the board. And so if you don't have respect, trust, and integrity, that's very hard to do. Um, But for high-performing teams, they're honest with each other. Um, Everyone feels comfortable giving constructive feedback to each other, uh, to their team, to their leader. Um, And that is critical because especially as your company grows, you start getting farther and farther away from the things that are happening. And you need to know that your team will come to you and tell you when something's going wrong or something is breaking and needs attention. The third value we have is we're accountable to our customers. And so, you know, that's why businesses are in business. Like if you don't have customers uh, that are paying you and are happy, like it all falls apart. And so, you know, and this comes back to having a really strong customer success mindset, being a customer centric organization um, and making sure that we're making decisions that are going to set our customers up for success. Um, number fourth is we embrace failure. And so this is another thing. Great companies will only innovate if they create an environment where it is okay for people to make a mistake or to fail. And again, the only way people are going to feel comfortable doing that is if they witness their leaders trying, failing, picking themselves back up and trying again, or if they see someone else at the company make a mistake and the leader positively responds to that. Right. Hey, we learned something. That's awesome. I don't care that X didn't work or Y didn't work because we now know this important piece of information that's going to help us move forward. So it's both the leader being vulnerable and making a mistake as well as not negatively responding when others make a mistake so that people see, oh, they actually mean what they say. I can make that mistake. Um, And then lastly, it's play the long game. And so this is really about making decisions that are in the best long-term interests of the company and that aren't short-sighted. Not everybody is in a position where they can do that. Um, I I firmly believe that there's always a way, um, but I recognize that it's easier said than done. And so um, culture plays a huge part of this. I talk a lot about this type of stuff in my LinkedIn content. Like I believe that my role as a leader is to create the conditions for our team and our customers to be successful. And a lot of it is intangible. A lot of it is making people feel safe, giving people an opportunity to try, um, letting people figure something out without telling them exactly what they need, knowing they'll probably make some mistakes, but who cares? It doesn't matter, right? And so um, it starts with modeling that behavior and then responding positively when people live out the values. Um, And on the other side, if people show disrespect or have a lack of integrity um, or are, you know, are going against the values that you deal with that and don't let it uh, fester. So that could be, that could mean providing candid feedback that that's not okay. It could be parting ways with an individual, um, but you can't only reward and recognize the good. You have to acknowledge, deal with and punish the bad as well. Yeah. And and I love the 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 fact that you mentioned it's not as easy within other organizations because I was going to ask that because I mean not not every you know in the context of this conversation we're talking about marketers. Um, most marketers don't have that flexibility where they're given a budget and they can just keep making mistakes, you know, trial and failing and you know, learning, figuring stuff out. Um, because at some point the CEO or the CFO or whoever is, you know, overseeing that that overall company budget is going to be like, well, 
uh, I don't think this is really working out because you know you keep making a lot of mistakes and it's costing us money. <laughs> so we have to let mm-hmm. you go, right? Yeah, and I, you know, I've gotten at this point in my career where I know these things, but it's only because I've made I've made the mistakes that I talk about not making today, right? Like right. I've made short term decisions. I've uh, I've felt pressure to hit a goal and have done things that maybe weren't in the best interest of my customer or the team. Um, and maybe I hit the goal in the short term, but then I saw what happened after, yeah. and everything fell apart, right? So like. It's not, I haven't been perfect my whole career by any means. I've made almost all of the mistakes. So all of my lessons have been hard earned. Um, and I know, like, I know what the pressure is like. And um, I know how difficult it is and how easy it is to get swept up and be like, I have to do this. I don't have a choice, yeah. but you do have a choice. And so I, I really have a lot of empathy because um, it's incredibly difficult Um and I mean, and sometimes you are in a position where you have to do some things short term for the company to survive, right? Like I'm a realist in many ways too. So this is not black and white. Um, but what I've seen is um, from my experience anyway, I I don't want to make the mistakes that I've made before. And so I really try to live up to those values, you know, 150%. All right. All right, Megan. So closing, closing thoughts. I mean, the, the, the overall you know, theme of this podcast is educating marketers on how to prove their value at a C-suite level. Um, we spoke a lot about a lot of things on a micro level, um, but just from a macro high level, what do you think marketers can do um, that's in line with, with that concept, that theme? Absolutely. So as a marketer, you should be thinking about, again, put on your customer hat and your CEO hat. And so you should be thinking about what are the long-term goals of the company? Um, As a marketer, what is my role in uh, influencing net new customer acquisition, revenue growth, revenue retention and expansion, brand building in the market, you need to connect everything that you want to do, your entire strategy and all of the tactics underneath that to delivering help to help support in delivering great customer outcomes and growing a sustainable business. Um, as a marketer, a lot of marketers don't think about some really important unit economics of the business. You should, yeah. you should understand customer acquisition cost, lifetime value, um, how much it costs to uh, bring an interested buyer in through your talk to sales form, um, like your cost per sales qualified opportunity or your cost per demo request. Um, not only understanding the revenue impact, but the efficiency behind that um, and the impact on the customer experience. Um, so I think those are really the key things Um from a business level that are critical that maybe a lot of marketers um, historically haven't spent a lot of time uh, digging into. Awesome. I love that. Great closing thoughts, Megan, ladies and gentlemen. And if people need to find you, where can they, what can they find you? LinkedIn is the best place to find me. I'm not on any other social media. So that's my one platform. And I try to share, you know, learnings from my experience to, to help others. So you're not on TikTok? No. <laughs> the company is it's not your thing. <laughs> yeah maybe one day we'll see <laughs> uh I'm, I'm i'm considering it um i'm considering it but we'll see 
Megan, so good to have you. Thanks so much again for coming on. Really appreciate the, the nuggets and the wisdom that you shared with us here today. Absolutely. It was a great conversation, Winston. Thank you for having me. Awesome. And guys, this has been the Revenue Alignment Podcast, and that is a wrap. This has been the Revenue Alignment Podcast. Join us next week where we have more amazing content to help you demonstrate, communicate, and prove your value at the C-suite level. I'm Winston, your host, and this is a wrap.